Today's scripture reading is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Melody. So you ready? We're just about to enter the holiday season. Starts next week with Thanksgiving. Is it next week? Week after? Yeah. Starts with Thanksgiving and it wraps up with New Year's. So yeah, got to get over a month of holiday cheer. And I love this time of year. Uh, now I used to hate it as a pastor because it seemed like I was super busy trying to do this and that and whatever, and I'd lose sight of what why we were doing all that stuff. But uh, I love it now because I see woven into even our, you know, we could say our secular culture, the themes of the gospel, the themes of grace, themes of love, the themes of giving, of gifts, all this generosity, it seems, that, that flows. And I love this time of year because of those themes that remind me of the Lord Christ and why he came to earth. Yeah, I, I love it. And you know, as a kid, though, I saw this time of year as something completely different. I saw it as a time to get. I mean, that's what I was excited about, is what could I get at this time of year? I was so excited that I would have a hard time sleeping the night before Christmas. Oh, yeah, I should get this. Yeah, there we go. Thank you for turning on the slide there. All right. Yeah, and I don't know if any of your kids or you yourself had that uh, time where you just did, couldn't sleep very well, and the reason was is because I was imagining all the things that I was going to get the next morning, and it was totally focused on myself and my greedy desires. I was giving in to them as a child. So let's think about it today. Um, what gets us more excited, getting or giving? Ponder that. Do you get more excited about getting things or giving things away? What truly excites us in that? And that's what we're going to be looking at today because of the holiday season that's coming up. So I chose this topic today for us to take a look at. It's kind of like the story of a man who had a heart attack and was rushed to the hospital. And they limited the amount of people that could visit him and even his family members, how many go, go in there at a time because they did not want him to get excited at all because of the nature, the state of his heart, his physical heart. 
But while he was in the hospital, a very rich uncle died and bequeathed to this man a million dollars. So the family was like, how do we tell this news that is mixed, right? His rich uncle died, but yet he is now a million dollars richer without exciting him at all, like because of his heart. So they chose the pastor to go in and do this. And so the pastor was supposed to do this quietly and gently to this man. So he went in there and was just talking with this man and trying to lead quietly up to this question. And so he asked the, the guy in the, the hospital bed, so, uh, you know, what would you do if, uh, you know, you got a million dollars? Somebody just gave you a million dollars. And the man just said, well, I think I'd give half of it to the church. And then the pastor dropped dead. Yeah, it's a joke, see? Yeah, he got too excited and he, he dropped dead. Yeah, okay, move on. Yeah, so this issue of money and giving is a sensitive topic often because uh, we have this excitement or it's very personal to us. Uh, either we're excited to get, get about getting or, or giving, but it kind of makes us uncomfortable at times when we talk about it because it's very personal. Kind of like when you go to the doctor for your annual checkup and the doctor, uh, I'm assuming some of you do go for an annual checkup. Uh, if you don't, you should. Even though you're like in your 20s or 30s, it's okay. It's good preventive maintenance, you know. Anyway, that's a side thing. But it's like when we go to the doctors and they're pushing and touching us and saying, you know, does this, is this okay? You know, can you feel this? Can you hear this? You know, and they're touching you all over. Uh, you know, it's very invasive, but it's a doctor. And, um, and, and so they're asking you, does this hurt and whatever. And then if, if you do cry out in pain, one of two things probably happened is the doctor either pushed too hard uh, and wasn't sensitive to what they were doing, or more likely, something's wrong, right? When they touch you and it hurts. And then if that's the case, they'll say, oh, we better do more tests, or you better get an x-ray, or whatever like that, to figure out what's going on. And the reason I bring this up, because it's when we talk about money oftentimes, uh, and this idea of giving, people cry out in discomfort. And uh, it's either because maybe we talked about it too much, or we push too hard, or maybe there's something wrong there. <laughs> and, there and we're in need of the great physician to come and bring healing to us because it's not supposed to hurt there when we talk about these things. Well, before we jump into our text, let me just pray for us to open our hearts. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So did you know in Matthew and Mark and Luke, the three synoptic gospels, that one out of every verse talks about money? One out of every six verses talks about money. And out of the 29 parables that Jesus told in these gospels, 16 of them are dealing with a person and their money. So this is a pretty big topic Jesus talks about because he knows it's a big topic for all of us as well. First uh, Timothy 6.10. Oh, I'm fighting up there. First Timothy 6.10. Oh, there we go. There we go. First Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And this is why it's a sensitive subject, because the way we spend, the way we invest, the way we give 
is very personal to us, and we're very connected to our money. Um, and this is why it's important for us to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of Christ to guide us in this topic, in this area of our lives. So the question for us today is which describes the way that we give, or we could even say the way that we live. Which describes us? That's this slide here. Do we, are we giving in to the world standards, or are we giving up what we have as the Lord's? It's his anyway. So which, which of those would you say we're, you're living in, or what am I living in? If we're giving in to the world standards, then we have this certain mindset, which is to bail. Which is to bam. There we go. Get to gain. Meaning we want to get stuff to gain in our life. So in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, address this kind of mindset. When God said, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And in this mindset then, this is the mindset of that we keep as our own what is to be given to God. We consider it ours and we hold on to it for ourselves. So in a sense, we get our salary. Why do we get our salary or make a salary? It's for our own security. We gain security that way. Or we get money to gain freedom to do things, to do what we want, when we want to do it, to buy things. Um, the tithe is an Old Testament standard used in how much we are to give to the Lord. And the word just means 10% or one-tenth of the whole. And in the days of ancient Israel, the people were to bring these tithes and offerings to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem uh, to provide as well for the Levites who were working in the temple. That was their job. They didn't have any income. So this was to provide for that whole clan, the Levites, that clan, that tribe of Israel. And also the tithe was to be used, as we know from written in the Old Testament, that is to use for those who need assistance, like the poor uh, widows who didn't have a husband or maybe there was no family to support them. And so it'd be also used to help them. But the Israelites, in this case, had withheld part of their tithes and kept it for themselves. They were not giving 10%. They were keeping part of it or all of it for themselves. And God's accusation against them was that they were robbing from him. They were not giving him what was his. And so, robbing. And this is the world's practice. We keep for ourselves what is actually God's. It's like, I'm not going to give it away. It's mine. And there was, like, for example, there was this ambitious young man who told his pastor that he promised God a tithe from his income. And he, so he asked the Lord, uh, he asked the pastor and him to pray that his career might be blessed. So at that time, he was making $400 a week, so he had committed to give $40 a week to the Lord. And in this case, it was for the church. And then... Over the next few years, God greatly blessed his career. So after a few years, he was giving $500 a week in his tithes. You can calculate that, right? You're thinking $5,000 a week income. And, uh, but he got concerned, so he called the pastor 
And he was asking the pastor, is there any way I can get out of this promise to tithe? Because this is getting to be too costly now. <laughs> and the pastor said to him, well, uh, I don't think you can get out of your promise that you made to God. But what we could do is we can pray that God would reduce your salary back to $400. So then you could give a tithe that's more acceptable to you. In the U.S., research has shown that the wealthiest Americans donate 1.3% of their income. Now, this is all Americans. It's not just people who consider themselves followers of Christ. It's everyone. And the poor, those are the poorest Americans, give 3.2% of their income. They don't have as much to give, but they give more than the wealthy. Jesus addressed this get-to-gain mindset in what he taught when he said, Whoever finds his life will lose it. And Jesus explained this mindset further in Matthew chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, saying, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? So this mindset of get to gain also means this strive to make something with your life. We hear this and we buy into this thinking a lot, that it's on our own abilities that we can achieve success. And we think it depends on us and our hard work to do that. We must work hard on our own efforts to achieve these great things. We get a degree so that we can gain employment. And we've got to have these things and work for these things in order to do that. And the key here is that we don't give God credit for any of these things that we are successful at or what God grants us. I mean, God only helps those who help themselves, right? Amen? No, this isn't true. I mean, the gospel goes right against this, right? What does it say in the scriptures? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And we could not help ourselves, and yet God helped us. So God doesn't just help those who help themselves, no. He helps those who can't help themselves, who are unable to help themselves. That's the truth of the gospel. The world believes that the way we make something of our lives is by our own ability, our own achievement, and then we applaud ourselves for that, and we don't give God credit for anything of that. When even the ability that we have to do those things is provided to us by God himself. Yeah, another get-to-gain mindset of the world is found in the story of the rich young man in Matthew 19. And this mindset is that wealth brings satisfaction. Now, we've heard this probably over and over again in different ways. And this young man came to Jesus and asked, if you remember, he asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus told him to obey the commandments. And the young man asked, which one? So Jesus gave him, quoted a few of them, and the young man claimed, yeah, I followed all those. And then he asked Jesus this. He said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will, be, you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This young man's wealth was something he was unwilling to give up. And, but in the end, it was his wealth that prevented him from gaining the satisfaction 
that he was looking for, that he knew he needed. He wasn't satisfied in his life at that moment. The world preaches that wealth brings satisfaction. But the truth is that wealth is empty and meaningless in and of itself. Now, I would say, you know, like the, the Pevia in, you know, Fiddle on the Roof, if you've ever watched that, right? You know, wealth is a curse. He says, well, God, curse me. Please, curse me with all that, you know, <laughs> that wealth. You know, that's his thinking. Wealth brings satisfaction. But in a meaning, it's meaningless in and of itself. Wealth isn't bad. Don't get me wrong. But if we're looking to it for satisfaction, then it's going to be a big problem. So giving into the world standards means that we have this mindset that we get in order to gain in our lives, that we need achievement, we need money, we need whatever in order for satisfaction to be there for us. We want to acquire things for ourselves in order to gain more for ourselves. And this is giving in. So now let's look at the other way of thinking that Christ calls us to. Or we live in a way that we, is so that we are, as we said, giving up what we have as to the Lord. And in this case, we have this mindset instead of give to gain. We give to gain. If we truly believe that the Lord Almighty of the and creator of the universe uh, is in control of everything and all things are his in the first place, then it's his anyway. I mean, it's not like we're giving him anything, right? We're, we're just saying, yeah, this is, this is yours. <laughs> Thanks for letting me have it for a little while. <laughs> you know, use it as, as you please. And so it, it's not any really move on our part. We're just acknowledging that he is the provider. He was the one that gives us all things anyway. We give it to God. We acknowledge it, that it's from him, and it's not ours to hold on to. We give in order to gain. But what do we gain? What do we gain? Well, we gain his blessing. Listen to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, for the Israelites, God's blessing as we see here, was an abundance of harvest because it was an agricultural culture at that time. It was mainly that kind of uh, economic gain was how much you would harvest in that time. You know, some have misunderstood this and mean it guaranteed physical abundance if we give. So like, so if you only give $1,000 to Cornerstone, you can be guaranteed that somehow God's going to bless you and you're going to get 10000 back, you know? Uh, so come on, cough it up, write your checks, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, you say that, and that's misunderstanding that God's blessing is just limited to this really meaningless thing, wealth, right? If we pursue wealth, and we only point to wealth as God's blessing, then we're really missing because wealth in itself is meaningless. That's not God's blessing. Actually, wealth can be a big curse. My dad convinced me of that many times. I was always like, Dad, how come you don't play the lottery? He's like, I don't want to get infused with millions of dollars. He says, you know what a headache that is? People are going to call you up. They're going to want your money. They're going to this and that. He says, I like my life now. I don't, wanna, I don't want millions of dollars. He kept telling us that over and over again. So kind of sunk in a little bit. Not saying that I don't like money, you know, but uh, that's, that's just my upbringing. 
But this blessing that God is talking about here to the Israelites and meaning is much more than that, especially now in a similar way by faith in Christ Jesus. The blessing that we have is Jesus himself, his spirit and the abundant life that he has promised us, as he himself has said in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is not limited simply to physical abundance, but for we know, as I said, wealth is empty in itself, but it's the spirit of Christ that comes and dwells with us and in us and then gives us a life abundant no matter what our life is actually like. We can have a life abundantly in him, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're successful or we're failures, right? We can live abundantly in Christ. That is the blessing he's talking about. So here are four biblical characteristics that we can see as evidence if we're living a life of giving up as unto the Lord. Because his, his characteristics has flow along with that kind of thinking, that mindset that we give to gain instead of get to gain. So the first we see in the scriptures is that we are generous. Generous. Matthew 10, 18, Jesus says there to his 12 disciples as he's sending them out. He says, heal the sick. Let you see that. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And so here Jesus tells his disciples, I have given you this authority. I've given you this power to do these things. Freely give it. Give it away in my name. As you have freely received, then just give it to others. And this mindset does not see anything that we possess then that's given to us as ours to hold on to just for ourselves. And though as Jesus has freely given us, we are to freely give it away. And this means when we freely give, that means we're generous. Generous, it's like we go overboard. More than people expect. For example, J.L. Kraft, who, Kraft meaning he's the founder of Kraft Cheese Corporation. He had given about 25% of his huge income for many years to Christian causes, things that help the community, those kind of things. And he, and I quote him when he says, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. So no matter how old we are or how young we are, uh, whether we have a job or whether we don't have a job, uh, we are to give what we have to the Lord because it's his anyway, and we're just offering it back to him. So if you get money and, say, an allowance from your parents, you don't even have a job, but they give you some money, take at least 10% of that, give it away for the name of Christ, because that's your income in that sense. If you get money um, from a paycheck, then 10% of it, just start there if you can. And if you can't start there, then you just start at least working toward that minimum. Just kind of say, this is yours, Lord, and I want to use what you've given me for your kingdom's sake. So that's where we honor the Lord by just acknowledging that He's the provider. He's given it to us for us to just be caretakers. You know, many years ago, J.D. Rockefeller said, I would have never, I would, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. 
And then there's this story of Sadie Stiker, who was this woman who uh, was like a teacher uh, who served as a house parent of missionary kids over in the Philippines. And she loved to read, and she treasured her books, and she, she would occasionally lend one out uh, to people to read. But she, she kind of hoarded the other books that she wouldn't want to lend out because she valued them so much. She'd read them over and over again in her footlocker in the bottom of her bed, at the foot of her bed. So one night when she was sleeping, she heard this, like, scraping noise. And it was bothering her. It was like ongoing. So she looked all over the room in the dark. She's got her flashlight out, and she traced it down to her footlocker. So she opens up her footlocker, and guess what she finds? She finds this pile of, like, her books, like, in the dust because all the termites had invaded her footlocker and chewed up all her books to nothingness. So the only books she had left were the ones she had given away. And what she had hoarded, they were gone. She lost. See, giving up to the Lord as is the Lord's means we give generously. We are generous. That's a characteristic. And then the second thing we can say is, characteristic is, we give in secret. We see this in the, in the scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do, it, do not announce it with trumpets, as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's an interesting story I came across about Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher, oh, last century, and his wife, and they would sell eggs. They had chickens, so the chickens would lay eggs, and they would sell them. And, but they would only sell them. They would not give them away, even to close family members. If they would tell their family members, you may have the eggs if you pay us for them. They wouldn't give them away. So they got this reputation that they were greedy <laughs> because of this. Right? It didn't match with the rest of their lives, but with the eggs, man, they would not give those eggs away. Well, not until Mrs. Spurgeon died did the whole story come out that the reason why was because they were raising support money for two widows that they knew, elderly widows, with this egg money. So that's why they would not give it away, because it was the only support that they could give to these widows. You see, because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what their right hand was doing, they, they received that criticism of being greedy without defending themselves. Giving up means we give to the Lord generously, and we do it in secret. We don't like, hey, look at what I'm giving here, you know, take a picture of me so I can post it on Facebook. Yeah, I'm so good, you know. <laughs> no, that's, that's not the heart of giving for, to the Lord for, without looking to ourselves for the gain. Yeah, and it also means that we give voluntarily. We see this in the scriptures. Jesus said in the second half of Matthew 10, 39, it, it says there, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, this is that thinking, what we give away, we actually keep. That's the, the flip side of the kingdom principle here. Um, when we give up our life to Jesus Christ, we actually gain life, abundant life, eternal life. Jesus himself, who is life, we gain 
by giving away. The same applies to our financial resources God gives us. I mean, again, I got to qualify here. It doesn't mean like I'm going to give a thousand, so hey, I'm going to be blessed with 10,000. You know, come on, God, cough it up. No, we are cheerfully to give and not give out of obligation or expectation, like, ah, yeah, that's another sermon on that. I guess I better really give 10% because otherwise I'm not a good Christian and God's going to look down on me. And, and that's not the gospel at all. <laughs> it's not based on what we do, right? It's based on what Jesus did. We are to cheerfully give, as 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a funny story about this mom who was trying to teach her daughter that was coming to church, so she tested her and said, here's a dollar and here's a quarter, and I want you to give what you think you want to give into the offering plate. So then after church, they were walking out, and mom naturally asked the daughter, so what did you decide to give? Where the daughter was like, well, I was going to give the dollar away, but then the guy in the standing behind the pulpit said we should give cheerfully. And so I thought, man, I'll be a lot happier to give the quarter away than the dollar away. So I gave the quarter. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, but this is really what God wants us to do, is to give with gladness, give cheerfully away what God has provided us. And then the last thing here in this characteristics is to give away everything, to give it up. It's all his as it is, as, as he has provided everything for us. And there's this remarkable story that we've heard before, but I want to go through it again in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but as a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And this kind of goes along with another teaching Jesus gave in Luke 14, 33, that says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Hmm. This question, you see, as we are followers of Jesus, isn't, how much should we give? It's really, the question is, how much should we keep for ourselves, practically? I mean, it's all his anyway. So how much has he given us and that we should use for ourselves and plan for the future and things like that? That's the question, because it's all his. And he can do whatever he wants with it, whenever he wants with it. The tithe is just simply a place to start for us, or to work toward but God's blessing will come to our lives when we trust him in this mindset that it's all his and it's not mine. I'm not going to hold on to it. And when we give it away, we actually gain. We, we keep so much more than we give. And I pray that all of us are giving up what we have for the Lord instead of giving in to the world's standards. You know, I'll end with a story. Over 20 years ago, uh, Mike Herman of Glen Ellen, Illinois, told this story. And for you baseball people, you'll like this. And I do it in his words, okay? I quote, I've been going to professional baseball games and trying to get a souvenir baseball as far back as I can remember. A foul ball, a homer, 
even a batting practice ball, anything would do. At practice for the St. Louis Cardinals watching Mark McGuire and his teammates, I got to know a five-year-old boy who was also trying to get a ball. His name was James. He tried hard to pronounce the players' names as he politely asked for a ball. Mr. Tim Wynn, and it's Tim Lynn, can I have a ball, please? And before I knew it, my mission became to get James a ball. And for about 20 minutes, I told him the names of the players near the fence where we stood. The players turned, out, turned as he said their names or tried to say their names with smiles um, and as he fumbled through their names, but still no ball. I didn't give him a ball. Finally, I told James he could have my ball if I caught one. Now, I had been unsuccessful, unsuccessful in catching a ball for almost 28 years, so I felt like this was a safe you know, promise to make to James. Now, I wouldn't be telling you this story if you didn't know what happened in the next five minutes later. Yes, I caught a ball. And yes, I gave it to James. I was wondering how often God waits to give us something until we're willing to give it away. Let's pray together. Lord, everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hands in the first place. Even our very lives that you demand of us, you are our creator. You formed us. You gave us life. And now in Christ, you give us abundant life. Lord, I pray that Cornerstone as a church would be generous to people that are in need. I pray that my brothers and sisters and myself and my wife would be generous. But in your name and for your glory, not for our own, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.